most furniture companies, they're really design driven. They're really aesthetic driven. They're kind of more like fashion. You're not really solving for any problems, but at Outer, we're very much a problem solution driven company. More like a Dyson <laughs> or like a tech software company because that's how we truly think about designing every product. As e-commerce has become more prevalent, customers are catching on to some of the more suspect aspects of product marketing. They're starting to notice that when you look for something like furniture online, you're seeing a lot of the same exact products just branded slightly differently. Companies are using the same materials, the same suppliers, and selling the same or only slightly differentiated products. So the question for brands is, what do you do to stand out? For Jake Liu, the co-founder and CEO of Outer, the answer was simple actually do something different. Outer is the most sustainable consumer brand for outdoor living with a core focus on material science, which according to Jake, is only one of the ways that Outer is separating itself from the competition. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Jake and I talked about all the ways brands should be thinking outside the box, why problem solving should be the number one driver of product development, and how Outer is hoping to be part of the evolution of retail. Enjoy today's episode with Jake Liu. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really want to know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at Mission. Today joining us, we have Jake Liu, who's a co-founder and CEO at Outer. Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Stephanie. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. So I was looking at your LinkedIn and there was a funny tagline where it was saying like where you were born and then you moved to Shenzhen and then you moved to Alabama and then LA. And I kind of wanted to start there and hear a bit about your childhood and your worldly adventures. So I was born in China, a small town. Uh, in the Zhejiang province called Jinyuan. No one has he- ever heard of it, <laughs> but it's pretty, pretty remote. It's, uh, you know, not, not very developed, but, you know, it's, it's beautiful. The environment is, is great. In fact, now that region is um, one of the focused areas for the Chinese government to really push for the environmental protection agenda uh, that they that have, rightfully. And uh, I moved out of town when I was pretty young, I think four or five years old, to a town that probably a lot of people have heard of. It's called Shenzhen uh, in Guangdong. It's um, basically borders Hong Kong and you know some of the largest tech companies in China, like Tencent, Foxconn. They have a huge uh, factory slash town within the city uh, over there. Uh, it's kind of like the Silicon capital of China. 
So it was there, you know, throughout elementary school, and then moved out of Shenzhen into yet another small town. This time in America,、uh, in Huntsville, Alabama. Pretty interesting place, given that it's in the south, but it's aerospace、uh, academic town. NASA has a office there,、uh, Marshall、uh, Space Flight Center. There's a lot of government contractor, military, a lot of literally like rocket scientists. There. That's why my dad moved there. So I, I was there for middle school, high school, college. Got a degree in computer engineering, thinking I was going to go work for NASA. That was my dream. And then moved out to LA because I had a short stint at a video game company、uh, as an intern at Riot Games in Santa Monica. I really fell in love with the city around 2011. That's when the startup scene is really blowing up here as well. So I attended a lot of pitch events and got to know some incubators, accelerators, founders, investors, and. Yeah, so I moved to LA after I graduated. Instead of taking on that offer from,、uh, to join the video game company, I decided to start my own company. Was that Outer? Was your first company or my first company is called Prospectwise. The reason it was founded is because I grew up in the small business family. My mom actually started as a waitress and then worked her way up to you know not speaking a word of English to、uh, now owning quite a few restaurants across the country. But when I was growing up,、uh, especially in Huntsville. I saw that she was struggling with technology. You know, most small business owners are just not tech savvy. And as a computer engineer myself, I, I thought I could do something about that. So I coded a program to help her with customer retention and marketing, especially in the survey and、uh, feedback space. And then、um, that was the idea that got picked up by、uh, Accelerator here in LA called Launchpad.、And、that's where I started building the first company, really learning how to build a startup from the ground up. Hiring, fundraising, sales.、Uh, I had to walk into a bunch of restaurants, literally door to door. Yeah, that was kind of like the beginning of my entrepreneur journey.、Uh, it was kind of crash course of many what to do, but also what not to do. So, what ended up happening with your first company? So, I went through about four to five years of extreme ups and downs. Went through a pretty ugly founder dispute fallout. You know, eventually was able to save it. Turned it around, and now it's just a profitable, cash-flowing SaaS enterprise startup run by a pretty small team. I'm still on the board, but I'm no longer operationally involved. I, I definitely raised some venture capital for it, but it never really hit that venture growth that that we were all looking for. But the investors were, you know, are, are satisfied with. <laughs> First of all, I didn't flame out when it could have, you know, a few times, and、uh, a few of the investors actually. Decided to invest in in Outer, which、uh, turned out to be a good move. Okay, cool. So, tell for anyone who doesn't know what is Outer. So, Outer is it's the first sustainable consumer brand for outdoor living. You know, with a core focus on material science, on this community aspect, building an authentic shopping experience for home furniture, home goods, starting with outdoor furniture. So, an easy way to understand it is、uh, you can basically buy. Outdoor furniture that、uh, has quality that's better than you know some of the name brands like Foundation Hardware,、uh, some of the Italian designer brands like B&B Italia, but at DTC prices, right? Because we're cutting out the middleman. But what's really unique is that we have gone to the source of the materials and how to build outdoor furniture from ground up. A lot of people don't know about this, which is outdoor furniture specifically has to use synthetic materials, man-made materials. So. Plastics, metal, etc. You can't really use just any wood that you would see in your living room furniture because it's constantly exposed to the elements, UV, rain, oxidation, etc. And so, how do you 
create materials that can last in those environments, but it's also comfortable to the touch because at the end of the day, you know, it's furniture that you sit on and you touch, but also sustainable, like eco-friendly, recyclable and all of that. So that's been the core challenge that we've taken on from day one. We are a brand about helping people enjoy the great outdoors. And so we need to take part in protecting it. And uh, we go through extend you know, lengths to basically ensure that everything we do is sustainable. So when thinking about you building your company, originally for your first company, you're kind of scratching your mom's itch of like, she's like, I have a problem here and you were helping. And now with Outer, I was reading a bit about how essentially you were looking at like your cousin's company, I think, where he, you helped him get on Wayfair with his outdoor furniture and you were like helping him. And then you just decide to start your own using sustainable materials. Yeah, that's, that's right. So my cousin has a factory in Zhejiang, my hometown. And he's been basically the OEM, right? Like, so white label production factory for retailers and e-commerce sellers in America. But these are the typical, I like to call them disposable outdoor furniture that you see, kind of like the wicker type that you see in a lot of yards, maybe hotels everywhere, pretty much. That's probably in this array, right? Whether it's dirty or like the wicker is like falling apart. <laughs> like everybody has that mental image, right? But yeah, that's what he did. And uh, I... Was still building my first company, prospect-wise, and uh, I basically took a summer vacation. I visited his factory, found out that he was basically working with razor-thin margins, being the supplier for a lot of these retailers. So basically, I told him, "Hey, you know what? I can do this for you. I can, you know, help you sell your own brand on Amazon, on Wayfair, on these marketplaces." And yeah, I did exactly that, and you know, it became, I think, one of the fastest-growing outdoor furniture vendors on Wayfair uh, back in 2016, this was. And uh, that's how I kind of like stumbled across this industry. From there, I found out, you know, all problems uh, that are associated with industry and also the opportunities. What did you do next? After you started seeing all these problems, did you go raise money or did you go through an, like an accelerator? What was the next steps? The first thing I saw was, wow, a lot of people were interested in outdoor furniture. I didn't know, but, you know, there was such a huge demand for this kind of products. You, go, you can go to Amazon right now and type in patio furniture. The funny thing is you'll see a lot of options, but they all look exactly the same. They do. I just shopped for this. They were all the same <laughs> at different price points. I went to even Overstock and like everywhere. I'm like, these are all the same pieces of material, just a little bit different. They come from the same factories in China, just branded very differently. Like for example, my cousin's factory, they actually provide the same goods for different brands and selling the same thing. And they are sometimes competing with each other on Amazon. And the prices are different. So you don't know whether, you know, it's okay, but what kind of worker, why are they different? What's the difference between like steel and aluminum construction? Okay, should I get some umbrella? Should I get polyester fabric? This is a lot of information and misinformation. Yeah. The wrong keywords are added to the listing. They're like, this was organic, humanely raised fabric. So, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, got me. <laughs> I'll spend $20 more. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. That's the problem, right? And then they all use the same fucking fee, which is funny because they, you know, like you can tell like they use the same photos. So they probably like, Photoshop some of it out. So yeah, that was the that was the problem. And another thing that I noticed was um, the customer complaints. So if you go to Amazon Wayfair, you look at all the one, two, three star reviews, they're essentially repeating the same things. Specifically for like, uh, take, for example, an outdoor sofa. I don't know what you, what you shop for, but like if it's an outdoor sofa, okay, the cushion is so hard to keep clean. It falls apart after a few months. The frame is kind of deteriorating. So basically it's just like a really, it paints a really dark picture of like just the product itself is inferior and it's a pain 
because a lot of people, they buy the kind of stuff, they think they can make a great use out of it. But the fact is after one weekend, you know, you forgot to take the cushions in or you forgot to cover it up. It's basically covered in dust, bird poop, mold, whatever, you name it, right? So you don't end up using it. That's all mine right now. I can see our backyard over here and I'm looking at all these beautiful white little cushions that were nice looking. Not anymore. (laughs) Photogenic for sure, right? But in reality, it's so hard to make use of it. And so it ends up just being sitting in the corner. Sometimes when your guests visit, you're kind of ashamed of it. You kind of cover it up, you know, like, and that, that problem is not just pervasive in, let's call, you know, like the more affordable kind of furniture. Even if you spend upwards of $10,000, $20,000 at the RHs of the world, you have the same issues. Maybe they can last longer. They don't fall apart, but they still get very dirty. They get very wet. You still cover it with a rain tarp. And once that goes on, you don't want to take it off because, you know, you just want to go outside for a coffee. You want to sit in it, you know, for a few minutes, but you have to spend 10 minutes just removing you know, cover. And so that's a huge problem. And sounds like a really easy problem, but no one has thought about, about how to solve for that. And everyone is complaining about the same thing. So given that I saw that the rising demand, the problem and everything looks the same. And lastly, there's no recognizable brand for outdoor furniture that you can name cars, you can name TVs, you can name computers, you know, you can't really name any outdoor furniture brands. And so that was the opportunity that we saw as you know, it's a leveling playing field because chances are most people are buying their outdoor furniture from, like you said, the Costco's, you know, the Amazon's Wayfair's or the Pottery Barn's, the Green Barrel's, the RH's, Ikea's, right? These are retailers and platforms and marketplaces. These are not brands that really focus on designing better products at its core, you know, from the material, from the, from the, the design, the innovation and the experience. And so we thought it's a level playing field for us. We can come in and really put 100% of our energy and money and focus and resources developing fundamentally better materials, fundamentally better products, solving those pain points that we just mentioned and build a brand just for outdoor living. So how did you go about sourcing and finding and testing high quality materials? And I'm also thinking maybe if you were like a little bit more of an outsider, like you didn't have ties to China and you didn't know, you know, okay, my cousin's manufacturing spot's a good one. Like how would I even go about finding good materials like that and sourcing them? Our furniture is quite a specific category, even within furniture as a whole. For example, most like indoor furniture, even in LA where I'm currently uh, residing, you can find, you know, like one, 200 studios, uh, factories that can produce furniture, but hardly any of them, probably, you know, close to zero can produce outdoor furniture. And it's because of the materials in the supply chain it's really hard to find synthetic materials domestically that can be used in outdoor furniture. All of that is concentrated in Asia. A lot of it is in China. Also the kind of like the, the skilled labor, for example, the wicker type, which is very popular in America. It's all weather wicker. It's actually a kind of plastic. It's not a natural material that, uh, you know, despite popular belief because natural materials can't be used outside. The all weather uh, wicker is really, it can only be handmade. It's hand woven. It uh, can't really be done with machines. And that kind of skill set is only really available, you know, in Asia, mainly in China and Vietnam. And so there are a few challenges around the barrier to entry to the industry. And a lot of that is in China. So fortunately, you know, I have a family connection there and that's how we got started. And that's how I even knew about this industry in the first place. But I also saw that there's a lot of opportunities to really improve upon what they already were doing. You know, mainly they were making order requests. I mean, if you really think about it, like, the retailer here in America are picking what's available from the suppliers, right? They're just 
looking through a catalog and seeing, okay, well, for this season, these are the styles that are in. The problem is the manufacturers being in Asia. Now in Asia, if any of you have been to Asia, you know, like especially in China, people don't have houses with big backyards. People live in apartment buildings, in high rises. They are not customers of outdoor furniture themselves. In this case, my cousin, he hasn't really used his own products. They don't really know the pain points. And so even this, this kind of like loop of the retailers looking to the supplier, the suppliers are literally just copying whatever styles out there. That's why you're seeing the same products over and over again. And they, they don't really get the pain points. And the retailers are not thinking about the pain points because they're just thinking about the exterior design, the color, the style, just like the indoor collection. But the truth is the outdoor, you're dealing with so many, so many more variables. If you live in New York versus LA versus Miami versus Seattle, the product works very differently. If you're working with an indoor sofa, that's not a problem. Whether you're in Hong Kong or Tokyo or, or Chicago, it's the same. That's a problem. And um, I saw an opportunity to really go from a customer-centric, customer-first approach and solving these actual problems. You know, I'll give you a concrete example. Probably too many of us are familiar with. We jokingly call it the wet bottom syndrome. You're seeing this innocuous looking sofa, right? You go in there just for a rest. You're sitting down for a few minutes. And after 20 seconds, you're starting to notice that the cushion is wet, right? Now you have wet pants, you have a wet bottom. So we jokingly call it wet bottom syndrome. So that's a problem that many, many people can relate to. The solution that the industry came up with to date has been a bulky rain tarp that goes on that collects dust and bird poop and you don't want to touch it. And you just end up just leaving the, the cover on the sofa. Or you carry the cushions into your garage and you don't want to carry it out. You end up just sitting on a naked frame, which is uncomfortable and defeats the whole purpose, uh, which is also dirty. And so we just came up with a, I think is pretty clever solution, which is we're calling the outer shell. That's how outer was first known. It's literally a simple waterproof piece of fabric that's sewn into the, the cushion itself. When you want to use it, you just roll it open. Once you're done with it, at the end of the night, you just roll it back and cover it. And once it's in a covered state, there is a little handle on the, on the top of the cushion that's part of the cover itself that makes carrying the cushions inside very easily. So if you live in an area where with inclement weather, it's really easy to carry, carry everything in and out without you know, stacking them, them up like pizza boxes and you know, it's like a tripping hazard, right? So we actually you know, patented it. And it's such a simple invention that no one has ever thought of. But once we came out with it, everyone was like, oh yeah, that you know, solves my problem. I don't have to ever use rain tarps again. I don't have to, you know, carry in and out like in multiple trips. I can do that in one go. And this is one that one innovation that has solved a huge problem of people just don't use their outdoor furniture despite how great they are. I love that. I love the idea of like simple innovations can actually be like what the market needs. And they're just like overlooked. People are like, no, why do we need any patents around something like this? And then here you all come along. You hit the nail on the head. And I, you know, a lot of people ask us, you know, what kind of company we are and most furniture companies are really design driven. They're really aesthetic driven. They're kind of more like fashion, right? You're not really solving for any problems, but at Outer, we're very much a problem solution driven company, more like a Dyson, even like a tech, you know, software company, right? Because that's how we truly think about designing every product. I'll give you one other really clear example. Even one of the latest products that we released, it's a, it's a blanket. Outdoor blanket, I guess. Yeah, an outdoor blanket. But what problem do you have? It's just to keep you warm, right? Well, like I mentioned, I grew up in the South. And the reason I didn't get outside for, you know, and doing a season I can, namely summer, fall, was because, it wasn't because of the temperature. It was because their mosquitoes were biting. 
you know, a lot of bugs. So our blanket is actually bug repellent. It's our bug repellent blanket. You can, you know, go check it out right now, livato.com. And then you can look for the bug repellent blanket. It uses a technology called Insect Shield. It's a company that really has this um, basically unharmful material that's woven into the fabric itself. It's being used by US military as we speak. You know, it repels any blood sucking insects and it's actually baked into our blanket. And so, you know, it's one little innovation. You don't have to drape it. You can't just put it like next to you and actually repels mosquitoes around you. So even in the summer, you can just put it as like a decorative piece on your outdoor stuff and it actually keeps uh, mosquitoes away. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Okay, when thinking about earlier, we were talking about people buying in different areas. If you're in Chicago, you have one set of weather. If you're in Florida, you have another. California, you just have beautiful all year long. But I saw you had an idea around neighborhood showroom, which I thought was brilliant. And also I was like, that's like a whole separate company in and of itself developing that as well. But I want to hear, you know, if you can tell everyone what is neighborhood showroom and how did you even think about this? Because it seems so different than anything I've heard. So, okay, neighborhood showroom for your audience that doesn't know what it is, it's a concept of turning our customers' backyards into real-life showrooms. So instead of going to a store, furniture store, you will come to our website, you will type in your zip code, and then we'll show you who near you actually has outer in their backyards. And you can browse photos, you can get inspiration, but most importantly, you can schedule an appointment to go physically visit that person. It's kind of like Airbnb meets retail. It's how a lot of you know people like to think about it. I almost called it Airbnb earlier, but I was like, ah, oh, is that too much? I don't know. But yeah, that's a good description. You got it. I mean, it was actually the original inspiration. I was the Airbnb host and the, and the guest, and I loved it. Not just because of the utility of it, you know, like replacing a hotel, but it's the experience, right? You get to meet the host. You get to kind of know the, the local, wherever you're visiting, you know, more holistically. It's really the social and community aspect that really drew me in. And very much so in the neighborhood showroom, that's what we found as well. Currently, we have over a thousand locations. It's actually way over a thousand now. So if you, you know, wherever you are, you know, if you're in New York, you type in your zip code, you know, we have a few in Manhattan, we have a few in Brooklyn, we have a few in New Jersey across the bank. And uh, uh, one of my favorite showroom, we call them hosts, people who volunteer to do this, Scott, he has a beautiful rooftop neighborhood showroom in Tribeca. It's a gorgeous, you know, condo penthouse. And he's basically availing his rooftop, which has like a 360 view of the entire city to be a showroom. If you're visiting his home, instead of like dealing with a salesperson who is trained to, you know, sell you on this product, we basically tell Scott not to worry about selling it. Just talk to the visitor as you would any neighbor or friend. 
tell them about how you truly feel about the product. You know, Scott gets compensated, but it's not with a commission because it doesn't matter if you buy or not. We want you to have a great experience and really to see, touch, and feel the product in person. He basically gets paid a flat fee because he's availing, obviously, his space and his time for that, you know, 15 minutes. But, you know, sometimes the visit go a lot longer. And we've actually had many stories of visitors becoming friends with the host. We've had dates happening. We have business deals that were cemented over visiting, you know, a piece of sofa. And uh, that's been the, the pleasant surprise about building that, that community up from the ground up. I think we need a reality TV show just around neighborhood showroom. I'm just going to see what's happening. I want to know. <laughs> There's so many just great stories. I mean, I hear back from our, our team, community team all the time about, you know, this host, you know, writing a handwritten note for, for a visitor, for our team, you know, like, uh, like I said, like the dates have, we're actually thinking about creating more content around that. Right. Because I, I do think, you know, especially after two years of isolation, people are desiring that human connection and, you know, this return to even people who don't talk to neighbors and, you know, for the longest time, they do during the pandemic because like they're literally the only people you see anymore, especially in the, the onset of the pandemic, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely something that's really wholesome and uh, authentic about, about that. So we, we're excited about taking a creative spin on the, on the content piece, yeah. When you first brought this idea up, was there any pushback? Because my first thoughts is, oh, I don't want to go to someone's <laughs> house if they're crazy. It's the same thing as Airbnb, same thing as Uber. Like all the early days, we kind of have to like come over that, you know, early day fear. Was there anything that you kind of knew just from those two companies launching where you're like, okay, to get past that, let's skip ahead by doing this in our marketing or how did you approach that? Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of answered the the main uh, pushback, which is companies have troll place this, right? It's not a not new idea. I think it would be a different world if Airbnb did not exist. But if you really think about it, visiting a stranger's place for furniture purchase is a behavior that already exists in the world. I remember buying my Herman Miller office chair on Craigslist, <laughs> like when I was you know, out of college, it's really just a unrefined experience, <laughs> you know, to put it lightly. I've hosted, you know, plenty of people on like classifieds and, you know, people who, who, who come and I just sold a set of, you know, like old dining set. So it's all kind of happening already organically. And so we're really just building a more polished, great customer experience layer on top of it, just like how Airbnb has solved the couch surfing, the awkward handshake with the cash exchange. In our case, it's really just, hey, you know, like meet like-minded people, like browse homes near you that reflect the design styles that you, you know, whether it's Mediterranean, modern, whatever, to, you know, again, buying outdoor furniture, you really want to see that this product works in my area. Like what will work in Alabama would be very different than LA. Like, you know, my two homes would be very different. And so I want to know that this thing does last, you know, after a year of use, two years of use, many years of use. I want to talk to a real neighbor that can speak to that, you know? And so it's kind of worked itself out just because like the behavior is actually surprisingly in the beginning, very accepted, if not welcomed. Um, and in this case, you know, we've scaled it to over a thousand locations. So we definitely know that this works and people, you know, have no issues with it. The blessing when you're not first to market. <laughs> How do you think about the ROI with this program? Do you ever look at a host and you're like, okay, these conversions for this girl right here, not so great. What's she doing? We're going to cut her out of our program. <laughs> or how do you think about the return on this? ROI, you know, that's, that's a, you know, you look at the eye, you know, the investment, if, if there's costs associated with it, then, you know, we might have a, expected return on it. But the truth is 100% of our hosts are all paid real customers. And that was important from day one because we didn't want people who are doing this for ulterior motives or like the wrong reasons. 
it's not even like Airbnb or Uber where it's a little bit more commercialized and transactional, right? People do it professionally to make money, right? Like this is not the case for us. It's really, truly a community of believers in Alder. You know, they like the product so much that they want to do this. The cash that they make is really just a nice bonus, but we just did a survey and one stat that jumped out was, first of all, 97% of all the hosts would recommend the hosting experience to their friends and family. So they're like, oh, you should do this too because it's so much fun. I can meet people, you know. And the second thing is most people like it because they feel like they're part of the community, the brand. And truth is, you know, a lot of our customers spend a lot of money and effort in renovating their backyard and outdoor spaces. And, you know, our product's not cheap. There's like a show-off aspect to it too as well. Like I really want to share my space and show it to, you know, be the kind of like the best yard of the street kind of thing. And so... There are a lot of emotive reasons why people are doing it uh, rather than getting paid. To your question, ROI-wise, from day one, it's positive because we haven't really burned a cent to stand up this program. You know, all thousand showrooms have been profitable from inception, essentially. So no, we're not going to say like, hey, you're not performing off platform. All right, Judy, you're yeah. out. No, not, not yet. Yeah. I mean, throughout this conversation, I can tell that you definitely think big, think outside the box, definitely kind of, you know, pushing certain things like materials and, you know, how to actually build a community and do referrals and, you know, neighborhood selling. What are you now betting on next? Like what big things are you investing in? What are you trying out that you're not sure if it's really going to work out? You know, a lot of people are touting the death of retail. Not something I believe in. I think it's the evolution of retail. I think neighborhood showroom is just but one of many experiences. Maybe it's a new experience. You know, at the end of the day, it's about serving our customers and what they want, right? And I know a lot of our customers don't want that traditional retail experience, but maybe that can be done a little bit differently. And so we're definitely thinking about, you know, physical retail and how to do that differently. Just like we've kind of applied that same outside of box thinking to the materials, design, the shopping itself. So without disclosing too much detail, we're still in the oven, so to speak. We are really excited about physical retail. I'm particularly excited about commercial opportunities. Outdoor furniture category is very interesting compared to a lot of other, let's say, DTC brands is the fact that it's applicable to businesses as well. If you're in LA, you'll see all the restaurants have outdoor dining options now. So outdoor furniture used to be nice to have, now are necessities for restaurants, right? Office buildings, hotels, shopping centers, anything that has a communal public space is really just asking for nicer furniture that requires less maintenance. And so that is also an area that we're really, really excited about. So working with maybe hospitality partners, real estate partners. And the last piece, I think it's really going back to the sustainability piece of it. Terry, my co-founder and I founded the business because we believe that a business is the best platform to to drive positive change for the world. We both truly believe in that. We are in the business of inviting people outside and you know enjoying what the great outdoors has to offer, which means if in 50 years, greenhouse effect is, is so severe and you know ice caps are melting and you know, wildfires are blazing everywhere, we wouldn't have any outdoor space to enjoy. And so it behooves us, even the, the cold-blooded capitalist investor, right? Like we don't have any of those, thankfully, on our cap table, but you know, it behooves us to really think ahead and think, you know, how do we invite more people outside and really, instead of beating them over the head and say, hey, you should recycle, you should really be environmentally conscious. Why don't we just make it a great experience to get people outside and they enjoy being outside and in return, they will 
care about protecting the environment. And it doesn't take a trip to the national park. It doesn't take a grandiose, like, you know, mountain climbing trip to really appreciate that. All it takes is one step outside in your backyard every day to start appreciating that. So concretely, you know, we're we're taking a pretty serious commitment and investment into material science. We really want to create the next generation of green materials that can be used in the home space, which is out of all the industries, if you think about apparel, if you think about electronics technology, you know, every company is really pushing for sustainable materials. And whether it's greenwashing or not, I think the desire is there. Uh, a lot of companies are doing that. And I think, you know, no one is really carrying that banner in the home space. And I think that's a huge miss because furniture is one of the, I don't know if it's the most polluting, uh, you know, industries, but it's certainly very pollution heavy, both in the manufacturing, the harvesting of raw materials, the transportation. I think I've read a study somewhere that says, um, I think Americans throw out like 10 million tons of furniture every year. It's a huge problem. And I think more people, more our peers and, you know, competitors, I wish everybody can, can really join in to think about, you know, how to create sustainable products. And I think it comes from the source, which is materials. So we want to do a lot more in material research and finding the best fabrics that's not just comfortable and sustainable, uh, performance uh, driven, water repellent and all that, but also sustainable. So when thinking about the B2B angle, like how have you had to kind of shift your thinking when it comes to going from selling straight to consumers to now you're approaching hotels and, you know, apartment buildings or whatever it may be? So like I mentioned earlier, we are a product and problem solution driven company. So a lot of people say, hey, Outer is a DTC brand. In fact, we were rated as one of the fastest growing DTC brands. But I think that misnomer, I think DTC is a great channel, but that's just it. At the end of the day, you know, we're thinking about creating products that can better the lives of customers, but also businesses. For example, hotels, they spend a lot of money and human resource to basically take care of their the rooftop furniture or like the, the swimming pool furniture. You know, they spend hours each day just carrying the cushions in and out. Those are the problems that they, they also face. And so we really think as long as there's a, a problem somewhere that our products can solve for, then that's an opportunity. Because the truth is not many people in that industry are thinking through that lens. Again, it's the same thing as the, the consumer industry. Like not a lot of outdoor furniture. I'll be in the B2B in kind of like the commercial side. There are a lot more established players the Brown Jordans, the world, the Dedans, the world, you know, they built a respectable brand and, you know, they work with a lot of hospitality partners, but I don't think they're quite thinking about the way that we are, which is, Hey, like hotel operator, what are the problems that you are facing on a daily basis? That's costing you, that's diluting your guests' experiences. So that's also a lens that we're looking at that problem instead of, you know, competing on price and competing on style, you know, it's the same kind of angle that we're taking to that industry as well. Okay. So when thinking about starting outer, all the experiences you've had, what's the one piece of advice that you always think about now, or maybe a piece of advice you would give yourself when starting the company? You know, when I reflect on the two companies that I've built, it sounds cliche, but it always comes back to people. And the first one, you know, I mentioned that I had a founder dispute. I had a three-way founder situation, three co-founders, equal splits, not a lot of, you know, clear ownership, overlapping skill sets, none overlapping values, <laughs> you name it, right? Like, made all the mistakes there. And so with Outer, that's the mistake that I avoided. Fortunately, I found a great team. I found an awesome co-founder where we have complementary skill sets. He, uh, Terry, a much more talented 
co-founder that I am, he's the chief design officer. He was IDO trained, was a, a former head furniture designer at Pottery Barn, you know, is basically the, the furniture expert, right? I don't know anything about furniture. No wonder your furniture is so beautiful. I was looking at it, I was <laughs> like, wow, this is nicer than Pottery Barn. <laughs> Thank you. You know, he's going for that, what he calls a transitional look. So you, even our wicker collection, you see that it's a pretty classic frame. But if you look at the legs, they're like really, it's the, like piece of jewelry. It's like very modern. It's shiny. It's a uh, stainless steel. He has skills that I don't, and I have skills that he doesn't. But we have totally overlapping values. The fact that we want to build, you know, the first sustainable, you know, furniture brand. The fact that we really want to leverage this authentic, you know, model with building community instead of just going for like hardcore salespeople and sales team. Reflecting on that, I think is really just like finding a partner that really have overlapping values and non-overlapping skills. That's number one. And then when it comes to, you know, the core team, my management team, my executive team is just so great. I mean, everyone is just very good at what they do. Every single one of them is stronger than, than I am in their respective areas. And really, it's just like about letting go and just not being the bottleneck for them. And that's been told and that's been kind of advised you know, like to me and been taught to me by many other founders and investors. But in practice, it's really, really hard. And so like, how do you actually do that? And uh, building a great relationship with them, even like personally, so you can learn to let go and trust them as a person to, to start. Uh, and then in practice, it'll be easier because then you will trust their decision in their, in their respective fields. Well, Jake... Thank you so much for chatting today. It's really been a pleasure. I love learning what you're doing at Outer and all the yeah, cool things you guys are up to. Where can people learn more about Outer? So it's liveouter.com uh, or you can follow us on Instagram, uh, liveouter as well. Thank you for the opportunity, Stephanie. It's a really fun interview. Thanks so much. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.